So Paul wrote this letter in likely the late 40s uh, AD, first century. So Jesus has been gone somewhere in the neighborhood, depending on who you believe, of 15-ish years. The church has gone out. Acts, the book of Acts, starting in chapter 2, chronicles the beginning, the birth of the church. And Paul has already been to this area, uh, what we call Galatia. This is not a city. Um, some people go, oh, yeah, Galatians is Galatia, Galatia, Turkey. It's not. It's a region. It's like calling uh, the Midwest something or the Southwest. It is an area in what we know today as the country of Turkey, the middle section. Whether or not you're talking about that northern section or the southern section, um, there's six or seven churches. You've maybe heard their names. No one's 100% sure how many churches this letter was written to. But I would just tell you, because it's scripture, every church that reads it should adhere to what it says. And Galatia, um, I, I, I'm going to mess up the name here on this, but the people that settled from this region were originally from somewhere in what we know as France. And as they came down southeast, um, they traveled through uh, Rome and through Greece. And when the Roman Empire became what it is in that area, they annexed even more property in what we know once again as the country of Turkey. Don't you think that's such a funny name for, I mean, like we love Turkey in this country. I just, I just always was like, man, you, why don't you just name it bird or something? I don't know. But this, this is this group of people that came down and Paul has already been through here. If you read the book of Acts, it's a lot of acts of the apostles, but it's a lot of history. It's a lot of where Paul went. It's a lot of the, the trek that he went on. But it is interesting to me that he is from, when we when we find out about this guy, his name's Saul of Tarsus. Tarsus is a city on the southwestern coast of Turkey. So it's not like Paul's unfamiliar with this area. It would be like being from Phoenix and like like going to, to Los Angeles or Vegas. It's like, it's not that far. And you've probably been there before if you're from that area. And so he's familiar. There's a lot of people that write about these folks in this region. And there's a lot of uh, governors and notes from, uh, what do you want to call them? magistrates, people that were in charge of these people. And they say they're a fickle, fickle people. They can turn on you on a dime. I'm like, well, that's just people. That's not like just the Galatians. That's almost every group of people ever. But specifically, they're known for being really fickle. And you'll understand why in a couple of verses. But this is just a smidgen of background the reason that he wrote it is more important than where the people are from and their tendencies to be nightmares. It's because the Judaizers, Jewish Christians, mostly former Jewish people that were really into the law and really into uh, the festivals and the traditions, were teaching as they accepted Jesus and the Old Testament. They were teaching these new converts that they had to keep the law. Jesus is great. But Jesus is just the period on the end of the sentence, and the sentence said Old Testament. That's what they were teaching him, and it's garbage because obviously Jesus would have told us we needed to do that if that was part of the deal. Donald Campbell writes this. I love this. The Judaizers in Galatia both discredited Paul and proclaimed a fa false gospel. I mean, if if that is if that is the sentence that under, underscores what Galatians is about, it's amazing. He says it was necessary for Paul to vindicate his apostleship, to basically tell these people why he was able to speak to them. Because in this section, Paul demonstrates convincingly that his apostleship and his message came from 
Jesus directly, the revelation of Christ. And Galatians was written to remedy a desperate situation. A call to the early Christians back from the Mosaic law into grace, out of legalism and into this relationship. And we, we talked a little bit about that in Colossians. Colossians is super short. Galatians is a short book too, but there's a lot of guys that write that Galatians and Romans are like, Galatians just is shorter Romans. Um, it is one of those books that is uh, not only uh, powerful and pungent, and it kind of hits you in the gut a little bit um, if you read it. Because we can all, all of us can relate with trying to rest on something that we've done for God before. Or like, hey, when I was when I was younger, I used to um, to use the feeding of the homeless. I used to feed the homeless uh, seven days a week, and it's what made me relevant in the family of God. No, it is not. <laughs> it is absolutely not. Jesus did not die that type of a death on the cross so that you could add to His tab, that you could add to what He did. It's not addable. Galatians was written for things like this. It's an emphatic statement of salvation by faith alone apart from works, and it's as relevant today as it was in their day. Do we have fickle people? America has fickle people. Jewish people from the first century in Jerusalem were also fickle because fickleness, unfortunately, follows humanity wherever it goes. Uh, qualifications, verse 1. Paul, an apostle, parentheses, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Paul's business card here says, Apostle. He throws out the business card and he says, though not from Peter, not from John, not from Jerusalem, not from Antioch, the Mecca of missions at the time, not from any of these things, from Christ and all the brethren who are with me. He was an apostle sent from Jesus himself. I want to read briefly, just so you can know where his business card comes from, Acts chapter 9. Maybe the scriptures will be up there. I, I'm a little out of order here, so if you can, great. Verse nine or verse 1 of chapter 9. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any who were of the way. That's what I wanted to name this church, the Way Bible Fellowship. I love it. I absolutely love it. But there's a lot of weird, weird websites with that. And there's a lot of churches that I didn't want to be associated with because just because just in case you're like, hey, are you with those guys? Well, I'm of the way. You just put yourself into a hole here. Um, anyway, I love the name because they mocked them. They called them that. Oh, you're you're the way. They, they thought that was actually mockery because Jesus said, I am the way. They're like, oh, you're of the way. And they meant it as like a, almost like a curse, almost like a, yeah, you're like the idiot, right? You're with that guy that died. We killed him. So, so Paul, Paul has heard this. That's why he's saying, hey, if I found any of the way, can I kill him? He might bring them bound to Jerusalem. This is, he's asking a high priest, a high priest of Judaism for an arrest warrant and possibly a death certificate, a death, an execution a warrant for Christians. This is, this is Paul, the apostle. Sometimes we clean it up a little bit. Sometimes we try and polish that guy a little bit. There's a little Jewish bald head. I don't know. Every time I ever see a movie of him, 
he's it's always like he's like five two, can't see, and he's bald, and he's got this high little his little high pitched voice. I don't believe that's what Paul looked like, but for whatever reason, people like to depict him that way. I don't like it. So he's asking, I'm going to bring him back. We're going to string him up. We're going to bring him back to Jerusalem. And he asked the high priest, and he he granted it. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goats. Goats are basically little little knives on the end of a stick. That you, that's, how you get, that's how you get an animal you couldn't possibly harness any, any other way like an ox to go. And so when we're kicking against a somebody's knife on the back of our Achilles, that's basically what Paul's doing right now. Jesus is telling him. So he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then he said, arise and go into the city. You will be, you will be told what you must do. I want to just really steer us back to Paul's few sentences of interaction to Jesus. This blinding vision. Paul's not stupid. Paul's one of the smartest prosecutors, if you will, Pharisees, um, lawmen, lawyers, if you will. He's one of the smartest ones that ever was. Gamaliel, who was about as high as it got when Paul, the youngster, came into Jerusalem to study under him, rabbinical school and all the rest. Um, Gamaliel said, I, I, this guy has such an appetite for knowledge, I can't give him enough. He just digests it. So we're not talking about like the, the low-end apostle over here or the low-end rabbi uh, in rabbinical school, the F student. We're talking about the best. Most of these guys that Paul studied under were too proud when Jesus was there to listen to him. In the flesh, too proud. Think about it. He's, he's healing people. They've never seen this done. He's feeding the 5,000. They've never seen this done. He's doing every possible miracle that the deliverer should be able to display. And they're like, we need to kill this guy. He's right in front of them teaching. They all recognize, wow, you, you teach. You, you, know, you know the scriptures. They admitted a lot of positive things about Jesus, guys that wanted to kill him. Here's a guy who doesn't see him in the flesh, sees a vision of him, and he says, what do you want me to do? I love the term, what do you want me to do? It reminds me of Acts chapter 2, when Peter gives a sermon, and the guys are like, how in the world can we possibly be saved? Like, if that was how people reacted when you shared the gospel with them, man, this whole world would be saved. Because that is an invitation. That's an amazing thing. So, so the point is, Paul is humble, and Paul is willing to recognize a power higher than himself. Paul was just misguided. He was trained by these guys who were wrong, who were completely wrong. But it was an establishment, guys, that we can't, we can't really understand how, like, this is almost like gang-like. It's tribe-like. You don't go against these guys for a lot of reasons, but one of them is cultural. One of them is family. One of them is, it feels wrong. They'll go against the sons of Abraham. That's what they called themselves. Verse seven, and the men who journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing nothing. They saw nothing. Somehow they heard the voice though. Then Saul arose from the ground and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one. He was blinded. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. 
He was there three days without sight and neither ate nor drank. If you if you then read on, you find out how Paul was discipled, he was discipled by God in the desert. So it's it's not what happened to Paul is not a normal thing. It's not a thing you find often in the New Testament. It's a rare deal. And he's telling these people in verse one, guys, I didn't get this business card because I went to Quick Prince. I got this business card because Jesus mandated it. He stopped me. He told me I was I was doing something that was equivalent to like, like, could you imagine just like like kicking a soccer ball and then somebody takes it out and just sticks a knife and that's what you kick hard? He's like, I thought I was kicking the soccer ball. I thought I was doing I was playing the game. I thought I was doing right. And Jesus stopped me. So that's who sent me, you guys. He's already been through there once. And all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia. That's not how we know it wasn't one church. It was a bunch of churches in this one area. Verse three, grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of God and Father. To whom be glory forever. Amen. So once again, we got the qualifications. We know who it's to. We know the doctrine of grace. Jesus gave himself for our sins, and he alone is able to deliver from sin. He alone is to take people out of this evil age and pull them into a relationship and pull them into where he lives. No mention of works. No mention by design of baptism right here. No mention by design of taking the Holy Eucharist, doing communion. They're very important. Jesus asked us to do them. They do not save you. There are churches in this town that teach that you cannot go to heaven unless you're baptized. That's right. They they call themselves Christian churches. And I think maybe they mean well. I really do. I think maybe they mean well. There is no place in here for anything but grace. There's no place, there's no way for you to go, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna carve my little way out over here into my own justification. Guys, this is about self-justification. What do you do or what do I do that makes us feel like we belong, like we deserve heaven, like we deserve a relationship with Christ? The answer is nothing. It's 100% what he did. So I really want to spend our bulk on 6 through 10 as this intro. Um, We've introed it enough. It says to them in verse 6, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him who called you into the grace of Christ to a different gospel. You're turning from this to this. This is what repentance means in reverse. You're doing something and you go, I'm not going to do that anymore. And you turn and you walk the opposite way. You realize you're going the wrong direction on a street. You turn around. That's repentance. I can't believe you guys are doing this so soon. This has been a few years, this church. It's not some 100-year-old church. Jesus hasn't even been gone, if you believe the commentators, 20 years yet. And you already have this, which is not another. It's not another gospel. There's not 20. There's not 10. There's not even two. There is no two good news of the kingdom of heaven. There's just one. You guys, it's not another. What you're learning is not another. But there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. What does perversion mean? Perversion means to transform into something of an opposite character. Now, I want to throw a Star Wars reference at you. For those who like Star Wars, I am not one. Don't hurt me. I also didn't like In-N-Out Burger for the longest time. Um, and I was a little bit persecuted by certain Christians uh, from Los Angeles. 
It's just a burger, guys. There's 18 different ones. It's not that awesome. And you're seriously, your fries taste like packing peanuts with salt on them. Thank you. Amen and amen. So, Star Wars. I grew up, I was born in 1977. The first one came out in 1977. Clearly, I don't remember it and I didn't go to the theater. Okay. 1983, 84, um, in first grade ish, second grade. I don't remember when this happened. Um, they're all out now. Okay. They're all three out. And it's the biggest deal ever. Every kid has the metal, the lunchbox, the Han Solo and Yoda. And I have a joke about Yoda, but I'm not going to talk about it. Um, just because it looks like a politician that's running a local one. Um, I'm not going to talk about it, but when, when I grew up, there's action figures and there's lunchbox. The kids have the shirts. The kids have all the stuff. I go to birthday presents. They're wearing the, those white soldier things, the plastic things at Halloween, the whole bit. And I'm like, man, this, this is like the biggest movie like ever. It's as big as Michael Jackson thriller, which had just, I think just come out. And I remember thinking, why am I so wrong with me that I don't like this? Because every other kid likes this. I don't like this at all. I just rather go skateboard or go throw football or baseball. What we didn't know, and I didn't know this, is that those were episodes four, five, and six. Do you know this? Do you guys know this? And so for another, I don't know, 1997, my friends in 1997 were so into this movie it came out in 1997, again, digitally, Dolby remastered, whatever that means. And I went to the movies. I hadn't seen them. I was persecuted by all the people that took me. They're like, you can't believe you haven't seen this. We go, and it was uh, 1997. They released those again every six weeks for three different movies. So I saw them, and I still was like, I don't understand why you guys like this. I can see the fish string with the millennial falcon. You can see the fish string. I can, that's Yuma right there. Um, I didn't believe that it was awesome. Fast forward, the new, the newish ones, the middle ones came out, I don't know, in the 2000s. Those were episodes one, two, and three. But I don't know anyone that ever told me that. I don't remember anybody in the 80s saying, did you know that this movie is episode four, five, and six? Therefore, we're waiting for the one, two, and three. This is a lot like the struggle of the Galatians. So the Galatians are coming in and they're going, okay, this is awesome. We got a church. The Judaizers are going, okay, do you guys understand? Some of you guys are, are, are of the Roman Empire. You're Greeks, you're barbarians, you're wax. So we're going to help you out. Yes, you came to Christ, but you need to learn all this stuff. And they would throw the law down and they'd throw the festivals and they'd throw all their credentials at them. Star Wars was the biggest deal ever, but it was the, it was the new Testament. It was the second Testament. It was four, five, and six. Whatever's going on now isn't George Lucas. George Lucas bailed out after he'd made $80 billion. These six movies, I looked it up on Wikipedia. These six movies were Lucas. This was him. I don't know why he did it the way he did. I don't know that he thought it was ever going to be that big of a deal, but everybody thinks all the people my age all think that that's the greatest thing since sliced bread. The first, they're like the first three, 77, 80, and 83. No, that's the second. But what, what went on 15 years back or whatever, whatever those four, five, and six were, that was the beginning. And so people are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. It's like the new, the old and new testament. Which one came first? Well, obviously the old testament came first, but it was pointing at something. Yeah. It was fast forwarding to something. It was trying to help these folks understand, look, 
You're under the law. Do you guys give up yet? Like mercy, like uncle when you were wrestling? You can't do it. You cannot self-justify. You can't keep even 10 commandments, let alone 613. Yeah. Yeah. And so this idea that there's this other gospel, there's people who, like I, 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 I talk to them sometimes, unfortunately, they're like, no, dude, just the first three, just the Old Testament. Dude, that's the New Testament. Those are the better of the six, just so you know. Like if you're going to compare them, they're the better of the six. Anything back then was better than anything now, right? Just kidding. That's what old people say. And, I, and I'm one of them. Not old people, people my age. They think that anything that's like right now stinks. Um, the music does. The music's horrible right now. It was way better back in the day. You'll never meet an old person in the world that doesn't think so. My intern can tell you all about that. Um, so he's, he's trying to get them to understand, guys, this is another gospel. What, you, what you've been taught by these people is another gospel. You think that you have episode one, two, and three, but you've got episode four, five, and six, which are after. And it's a, it's a, it's a, um, forget the, the word I'm thinking of right now, but it's a perversion to some degree to think that you can transform Judaism into Jesus. You can't do it. It is part of culture. It is part of history. Yes, it's important. Yes, we don't say the Old Testament stinks. Yes, we don't say we, 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 we look at the law and we go, none. I'm not keeping any of that. I, I will never, I will, I want to murder people just, just to, to celebrate my grace and my freedom in Christ. No. There are some who, who kind of think that. That's why Paul wrote, hey, should we just keep sinning like it's our job to make grace have a higher debt? No, certainly not. That's what he says. Paul is laying it all on the line. He says, guys, it's, there is no, there is no other gospel. There is no other, um, there's not another. You are perverting the gospel of Christ, verse 8. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. That is a horrible, horrible thing. Like, have you ever vowed something and then you just broke it like the very next day? Um, the Bible says if you're going to take a vow, take it very, very seriously, starting with marriage, obviously, because young people tend to get married younger. And they don't know the weight of everything that they're saying yes to. Um, I taught last week in Sierra Vista, and I was talking about um, the idea of um, this. It was Colossians 3, and it was the idea of Christ. I, I preached that message to you guys originally, like two or three months back, but kind of added a couple things to it. And I said, there's this pastor who says, when he does premarital counseling, he goes, okay, when's your wedding date? Uh, it's uh, January 20th. Great. Go down to the county and get a death certificate. And they they're like, do you mean a marriage certificate? He goes, it's the same thing. You're getting married. Nobody's smiling at me right now. Um, Dan, watch it. Um, so, but it's the same. It's this idea of like, if I am going to get married. Then I can't have this like other life where I'm like, it's all about me. What I want to do. I don't care. I'm going to be gone eight days a week. But, and I also said to them like, it's like somebody who gets married and then that that night they just leave. And they're like, I'm going to go live in another land and I'm going to go do my thing. And somebody asks them on the plane, uh, are you married? Yeah, I'm married. Uh, where's your wife? At? I don't know. Uh, I haven't talked to her in forever. I, haven't, I, I don't speak to her. I don't live with her. There's nothing. Well, I guess you're married on paper, taxes wise. You're not really married. You're not really in a union. 
You're not really in this relationship. And if when you when you when you lay that vow down, Paul is leaving himself nowhere to go. Once again, I just want to I want to really highlight Paul's background. Jewish, like everything about Paul was Jewish. Like if he'd spit in a cup and did the DNA sample, it'd go 200%, not 100%. Both parents, 100%. Paul's as Jewish as it gets. He lays that out in Acts. He lays it out a couple times in the New Testament, who he's from, tribe of Benjamin, circumcised on this day. He is as Jewish as they get. And he's saying, if anybody, me, Gabriel, come to you and say anything except for this, let that person be damned to hell. Wow, Paul. Well, you're kind of going to make some enemies in this church. That's for sure. Because these people still go to this church, these Judaizers. He's saying, guys, I'm so sure of the gospel. I walked away from more than you'll ever know. I walked away from everything. Paul likely lost a ton of his family. I've heard guys talk about his wife who left him once he became a Christian and all. I don't know. I, I don't see it in the New Testament. It could be. It could be that when Paul, who was going to graduate to basically, I mean, could Paul have been everything south of a high priest? I mean, he wasn't, he wasn't of the right tribe. But could he have been of the, of the highest Pharisee? Absolutely. Paul could have been the man. He could have set himself up financially. But he's basically been banished to what we know as uh, back then, uh, Eurasia, Europe, what we would call Europe today. And it's like, you are not going to be the pastor to anybody in, in Jerusalem. You're not going to be the guy. He didn't even really get along that awesome with the disciples. And I think it's because he killed their friend. I think it's because of that. I think the static of Paul, humanly speaking, God uses relationships sometimes when they, when they fizzle out. God can use that. Is it is it is it right for Peter when Peter got yelled at to kind of be butthurt by Paul? And he's like, dude, you're not like you're not doing the same thing when you hang out with the Hebrews uh, and then you hang out with the Gentiles. You're not doing the same thing. And so he even says in the scriptures, I opposed him to his face. I think that's a nice way of saying how Paul that conversation went down. But, but he, because of Stephen, because how much they loved Stephen and because of that static, they're static. I don't think Paul ever got over it in his own time. I killed these people. I killed some of them. Yeah, and you're still going to heaven, Paul, because grace is sufficient for you. Jesus actually said that to you. So you have to really, like when you start off introing a, a book like this, you really have to lay the weight down on why this was hard for him. Why It wasn't just easy to, it wasn't just firing off emails. Like, you know, just send this one to Galatia and send this one to, to the, the churches of Rome, and you don't just do that. You agonize, sweat, write this down. I mean, sometimes he was in prison writing letters. Sometimes he was free. But in this case, he's saying, if anybody on this earth tells you there's another gospel, number one, or tells you it's not through grace alone, let that person be accursed. Now, I didn't say that. I just told you that there was people adding in this very town Good things, good things. Like baptism is a great thing. It's one of the things that helps you vi visualize Colossians chapter three. If you were raised, going through that, the spiritual bond that I believe happens with your spirit and God's spirit when you do what He asks. It's awesome. But you going under our our tank of water does not justify you to go to heaven. It just makes you obedient, and that's it. But you're covered. 
Verse 9, as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches another gospel, any other gospel, sooner than what you have received, let him be accursed. Twice the word accursed in two different verses, twice. If you don't, if you don't use the punctuation and the numbers, about 25 words later, you got somebody saying, I mean, we don't usually, like as Christians, we don't throw that word around a lot, like curse you, curse you. That's a very serious word. It's it's the worst. So as as in verse nine, as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches, anyone, me, an angel, John the Baptist comes back, says something to you that isn't of this salvation by grace through faith alone, that person should be accursed. For now, for sorry, for do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? Question mark. No. For if I still pleased men, I would not be a slave by choice of Christ. That's what that word means. Somebody that's been freed and then wants to be marked as, I love this master. I want to serve this master. I want to be in this master's family. That's what that means. So we're short on time again. A couple of quick things. You really, like when you read this letter and you read, you you, you you see the gravity, you see the heaviness, you see the, the burden of this guy's heart. And you're writing this and you're not, you don't have air travel, you don't have buses, you don't have like, I'll be there in a day, I'll be there in two hours. You don't have that. What you have is a guy who's trusting the Holy Spirit to get this letter into their heart as it gets read. That God calls, you know, salvation goes out, God calls. God knocks at the door. Some people will come, some people will let him in, some people won't. That's God's business. God's the converter. Just a just a wrapping this up, just a thought. If you are a Christian this morning, if you have given your life to Christ, if you have responded to the very same call that went out in Acts chapter 2, the call that Paul is giving to these folks, that went out on the apostles' way to murder Christians, call to follow from Jesus, Whatever occupation you do, whatever you do for work, whatever you do all day long is a call. You will have a place to shine for Christ. You will have a place to say something to somebody. And you can give the exact same call. You're, you're on the same level as Paul. None of us, no matter what we, like celebrity pastor or the guy who cleans the church, you know, at the at the at the church of ten people, the janitor that cleans the church, which is usually the pastor uh, at a church of ten people. I know it has been for me for many years too. Um, your call is the same. Your responsibility. You can give keys to the kingdom. You can give the gospel to anybody, just like Paul is doing. Paul, I, I I've called him the all star of the New Testament. Maybe tongue in cheek, he wouldn't call himself that. He called himself the chief of sinners. But Paul's. Paul's call is the same to everybody he talks to, grace through faith. Secondly and lastly, perversion of the gospel. When something is changed and turned into something it wasn't meant to be, it's in the same lane as the original sin that went on in the garden. What God says isn't enough. You can't trust it. He's holding out on you. It's always a derivative that, that fluffs our flesh a little bit. Oh, it's always this idea of God's oh, holding out on me. I want to do what I want to do. I don't know if I can trust him. This guy over here is painting a beautiful picture. His name's Natus. 
I let her, I, I put the words, I turned them around. I think it sounded like Satan. Yes, it's always that. It's always, it's always a pretty little lie or a rumor or something that is uh, anti-God's word. And when this comes to us, it's always the enemy in conjunction with the flesh of man. It's always the enemy in conjunction with what I want to do. What does James say? What causes these fights in you? Is it something else or is it your evil flesh? What is it? It's your, it's your lust for life. It's your wants. It's the things you want. This is, this is only of you. We can get ourselves into tons of trouble and then we blame the devil. The devil can say all sorts of things. He said all sorts of things to Jesus. And Jesus came at him and said, here's the word of Yahweh. And Satan was gone. So for you and I, in this day, we cannot self-justify. Some people go, well, I would never do that, Dan. I would never say that I'm justified because uh, I'm, I'm a Christian, but I also do this. And I also read the Bible, the one-year Bible. I read it every single month. I do it 12 times a year. Whatever it is. I'm, I'm not saying anybody does that. I've never heard anybody say that to me. I'm just making it up. But whatever it is. Sometimes we can be tracking really, really, really well with the Lord. And we and we've maybe we've been doing really like a lot of work for God for a month, two months, a year. And we start to go, I can, I can, uh, I've I've earned a lot of credit. That's right. You know, I I feel my spiritual bank account is amazing. Maybe you should just enjoy that God lets you do that. God lets you be used at all. Because it's 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 always it's always right there, it's always close. That you can think that something in you is good enough for God to be like, well, I know why I was chosen. Because look at all the things I've been doing for God. We cannot self-justify. That's all Paul was trying to say: is guys, I'm apostle. I'm not. I wasn't assigned by any man. In fact, I was doing really really bad things to man, your types of people, on my way to becoming an apostle. God recruited me. He gave me grace. He still has allowed me to have some pain in my life, some suffering in my life. And a lot of you fickle people drive me nuts. He didn't say that. That's in another commentary called the Apocrypha. I'm just kidding. Um, all I can say is enjoy, enjoy the fact that you're, it's a quote, the great Levi Lusco. Just be happy you're going to heaven. Just, just enjoy the fact that God would would allow you his grace, would allow you to come to his call. Amen? Let's get into it next week. Father God, we thank you uh, for the call, for the grace. God, uh, as human beings, it, it, it runs counterculture. It runs against our flesh. It is, uh, it's a difficult thing, uh, God, to balance the two sometimes with the works that are out there, with the, the things that we do knowing that it's never going to be enough if that's what we think is making us good or justifying us. I do pray, Lord, that we would really understand the doctrine of grace, that it is unmerited favor, that you there's nothing good in any Christian that is why you picked us, but God, that your grace went out and abounds. We are so thankful for that in Jesus' name. Amen.